Hatcham, PhD, is a sex therapist and coach. Her work is dedicated to healing the profound disconnection between men and women that has resulted from centuries of oppression, violence, and inequality. Disconnection creates insecurity, fear, anger, jealousy, and resentment. Connection creates appreciation, joy, love, and mutual support. Miriam helps men and women to connect with each other and create deeply fulfilling sex lives. Today, I am so excited to share this informative and intriguing conversation that Miriam and I had. So please join me in welcoming Miriam Hatchin to the show. Today, I am joined with Miriam Hatcham, PhD and sex therapist, and we're going to talk about so many great topics today, like uh, trauma, sex differences, desire differences, fantasies, and more. So let's just start with the biggest, most deepest topic we can, which is trauma, because that's my favorite thing to talk about. Miriam, what's your experience with working with individuals with trauma and what are some common occurrences that you see pop up in terms of sexual trauma? Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me to your wonderful podcast. And I want to say hello to all the people listening. And I'm happy that we are starting with this um, topic because it's also one of my favorite topics to talk about trauma. And this is because trauma is so widespread. It is, it's, it's so Big and it's so much more uh, than most people think, and it is so underestimated. Uh, and sexual trauma is one of, in, in my opinion, one of the most common occurrences in our culture. It's systematic, it's structural, it's in all, all levels of society. Uh, it happens can happen to anyone, and it can happen, happen in every neighborhood and at every school, uh, uh, every university. So it's it's. It's not confined, but there's often this idea, oh, trauma, you know, it's like, you know, there are some bad people somewhere and they're really far away from me and they're doing all these bad things. And that has nothing to do with us here because we're all good people. Um, but it's really, it's just not like that. It's, it's, um, it's, it's everywhere and it affects so many people. And it, it usually has, like, unless you um, really work through the trauma, uh, it has a lifelong effect um, uh, that will be really restricting to you if you're the one who experienced it and one of the reasons why I love to talk about trauma so much is because I believe one of the the biggest um, improvements or things we can achieve in our society is when we become very aware of sexual trauma and become very um, uh, dedicated to solving it Mm. yes yeah I love that and what do you see because when people think of trauma they think of a natural disaster flooding. They think of uh, mm-hmm. some sort of mass shooting. And for sure, those are immense mm-hmm. traumas. But when we think of those little, um, even being approached by someone and, and, and groped and made comments about our body can count as sexual mm-hmm. trauma. So what are some examples that you see often? Um, I think, uh, well, there are different um, uh, occurrences or experiences by which sexual trauma can uh, occur in in one big moment or it can build up over many years. So, for example, if you are um, uh, abused as a child, uh, that very first moment of abuse and that that, that is one big occurrence that in that moment will change your life forever. Mm. Uh, If you are raped, 
that's a huge occurrence that will change your life forever. Um, so you have these, the, the, you have one-time moments that can uh, cause trauma. You can also have uh, years and years of abuse, which causes also trauma. Um, then there is like something that you could call like death by a thousand cuts, which is uh, a negative uh, messaging of getting negative messages from your environment, from your social environment, from the culture environment, from the media, your whole life. It's uh, uh, it's even like all those small moments of really short moments of sleazy unwanted attention uh, that many people deal with, um, especially when they're young or especially when they're adolescent, actually, like that's especially like for both, I mean, for, for girls more, but both mm. boys and girls get an explosion of unwanted attention in, the, in as a, adolescence uh, by older uh, men and also uh, sometimes women. Um, uh, another form of traumatization that can uh, um, build over years is when you have sex out of obligation with your partner. Mm. So when you really, when you feel like I, I don't enjoy this, I don't enjoy the sex we have, but I don't feel like I can say anything and, you know, I want to be a good partner so I'm, I'm just going to do that and then you do this for five or ten years and what we know from women uh, and that's documented uh, in in the book um women's bodies women's wisdom from dr christian northrup mm. is that when women have obligation sex for many years they develop the same or similar symptoms as as women who have experienced rape yeah, so so those are the, the sources of sexual trauma. Yeah, that's so huge. Not feeling safe in your body, not feeling like you have a choice in that yeah. bodily autonomy. Yeah. And it's yes. really damaging. And not feeling like it's yours. Yeah. So when you, this is especially what we see with child abuse. Uh, when children have been uh, abused uh, in that early age where they, where they didn't have yet the ability to create an identity and a clear sense of self and a clear separation from me and the other, um, and they experience abuse, then they don't, uh, they, they don't develop a feeling that my body is mine. And that, 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 I, that just the absence of that concept then later makes them vulnerable well, for everybody who wants to invade them, simply because they don't know the boundary between themselves and other people. A hundred percent. And something that I share with my audience is I am a survivor of, of sexual abuse from um, childhood sexual harassment to teenage assault to mm -hmm. adult abuse mm -hmm. in my 20s. And for me, it's led to me feeling like I have no agency over my body. And I either yes. give too much out of fear of, of retaliation, feel like I'm obligated to, or I pull away and it's like that sexual anorexia. So I'm curious if you can talk about the effects, both physical and mental, of sexual trauma? Um, yes, so I think one important e uh, effect that would be the first one to mention is that it changes um, your nervous system. Mm -hmm. So um, your nervous system can be in a state of safety. Uh, it can also be in a state of, uh, of fear, of unsafety, and then it, and then it will trigger all kinds of uh, uh, defensive mechanisms. So one is mechanism is flight and fight, and, the other, and another mechanism is freeze. So that's when you can't move. 
Um, what happens with sexual trauma is that it puts your nervous system into a permanent state of unsafety. And so, you, so your body is always close to triggering some defense mechanism. And when you have made the experience that you've been overpowered and you've been powerless and someone can take agency over your body and there's nothing you can do, then there's great, then there's greater probability that you will go into freezing. Because freezing is what the body does as a last resort when it can't do anything else anymore. So when, when the body comes to the conclusion, I can't fight, I can't run away, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to freeze, I'm just I'm going to become completely paralyzed because the best thing I can do now is damage control. So when you, when, when you know someone will overpower you and, and you fight, you will get more, you know, your body will become more damaged. So when the body comes to the conclusion that you can't win, that you can't get away, it will freeze in order to, to at least lessen the damage of the experience. And this is something that is really, really important for to know for trauma survivors who um, like one part of the trauma is the trauma. So when you speak with people who have had trauma and one part is the trauma itself. So what the person did to them and the other part of the trauma can be tremendous guilt about not fighting, about not running away um, and about having sexual feelings when it happened. And what's important to know is that all of those things that, that you experienced during that situation were strategies of your body to lessen the damage. Mm-hmm. So the body can trigger an orgasm when you're being abused. It can trigger an orgasm during rape just to control the damage. That, that doesn't mean that you liked it. Mm-hmm. And that's and that is such a big part because trauma survivors sometimes don't talk about their trauma for years or never because in their mind or in their hearts they believe well I had an orgasm so I must have liked it so how can I even tell anyone about it and that's really important to know so it's it's so important to understand what the body does and what the nervous system does when it evaluates the situation and then it comes to conclusions and then it triggers protection mechanisms and all of that is out of your control. Yeah. I'm so happy you said that. I find that so interesting because that breaks my heart when people say things like that, that, Oh, if it was that bad, you would have just left or why don't you just snap out of it? Like stop freezing. Yeah. And they don't really understand that it has a physiological effect on the individual. Yes, exactly. And it also depends on, uh, so when, when your body or also your, your, your consciousness, your psyche evaluates the situation, then that it, it's dependent on everything you've ever experienced. Mm-hmm. So for example, imagine uh, you have never experienced sexual abuse, but when you were a child, you maybe witnessed someone bullying someone else. Mm-hmm. And that had a tremendous psychological effect. You know, you were really scared, although you weren't the victim, just observing it was already really bad. Now, it can happen to you that 10 years later, someone with the, like this energy of a bully with like the same aura, in just that you, you somehow meet them in a professional situation. And that person gives you that same feeling that you had when you observed this scene 10 years ago. And just that can already make, put you into, the, into, like, into cramping up and freezing because you, because you get this memory of, powerlessness so it's just so important to 
to know that this is something that you can choose. So you cannot choose this. It's, it's the body chooses it for you. Mm. Yeah, a hundred percent. And if people are trying to heal and recover from their sexual trauma, what would you say that the best uh, steps are that they could put into practice to help them with that? Um, the first thing uh, we we do is to, or the first thing I would do in, in therapy is to create um, safety in the body, is to help the person feel safe in the body. So um, because, you know, you, the, the, your trauma is uh, in your, it's in your psych, psychological memory. So it's, it's, it's stored, but it's also stored in your body. Um, and it's, in, in, in my opinion, never possible to only solve it psychologically because the body knows and the body experienced it and the body remembers all of this. Um, and so the first thing I would do, or at least in, in parallel with um, uh, talk therapy or, you know, whatever method you want to apply, um, it's always important to do, uh, to do body work by which the body learns to feel safe in itself. And that can be all kinds of, um, there are so many different uh, things you can do, but I find one of the most important thing is to work with the skin. So for example, that, um, so you have nerve endings under the skin and when you stimulate them in a very, um, uh, um, gentle way, um, that gentleness of touch is translated into safety and into positive self image and, uh, and into being loved in the brain. So uh, one thing that I love doing with people is to try to, to, uh, to give them as much positive skin stimulation they can find. And then also it's important that they become, uh, uh, that they do this uh, themselves. So for example, you can go into the shower and you can shower like really fast and like run your hands off your body really fast. But you can also like make a lot of foam in your hands and then move your hands very slowly off your body, which can create a feeling of safety. Or you can use very fluffy, cozy textiles like blankets um, that, that, that make your fin skin feel covered in a very gentle way. Or you can wear very comfortable clothing. So, so I'm trying. So one thing I try is to build habits with people by which they are very aware of what they, of the stimulation they give their skin in their daily lives. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. And I, I so agree that. Therapy is amazing, but talking about trauma can really only do so much because it is quite stored in the cells of your body. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, uh, sorry, continue. Oh, no, no. Please uh, go. Yeah. I was going to say for me, it's been a very slow process of learning what works and what doesn't work. I um, mm -hmm. like to do trauma-informed yoga. And um, yeah. when I felt comfortable, I started getting massages from people I felt mm -hmm. safe with. Um, for me, this mm -hmm. was with female masseuses and, um, just like I started EMDR. So it's really, a, mm -hmm. it's a long, for me, it's been kind of a long process. And even years later, sometimes I still feel very uncomfortable with touch and I can tend yeah. to pull away and people can misinterpret this as, oh, I don't want you to be close to me, but I think that it has an effect on everyone differently. Yeah. Yeah. But I also think it's important not to to know that trauma doesn't go away fast. Mm -hmm. So I, I understand that there's a, a trend with um, like that's forming around EMDR, uh, which is like, oh, we have an EMDR session and it's surgical. You know, we go in there, we, we freeze it, mm -hmm. we take it out. And then, 
you know, two weeks later, you, you're going to be fine. But I think EMDRs, it's like uh, healing trauma is a very complex process that takes a lot of time. And, uh, and EMDR is a wonderful tool within the process. But I think it's so important, especially, um, I mean, for, the, for everything in the world, but especially for trauma, not to succumb to this idea that things need to go quick and fast and in surgical ways. And, um, and you know, uh, it's like when people say, oh, but it's been 20 years. I mean, can't you just let it go? Uh, mm-hmm. No. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's so weird because imagine you would say to that same person, um, well, can you just forget your childhood? Like, I mean, even if it's positive, right? I mean, if, let's say that, that you have never experienced anything bad and you have only had a lot of happiness. And it would be so weird for someone to say you, to tell you, well, can you just can't you just forget it? Like all the happy memories, why don't you just forget them? But when we talk to tra- when people who experience trauma are being talked to, it's like, why can't you let it go? You know, just you have to get over it. You know, it's in the past, mm-hmm. and that's so it's it's really re-traumatizing because it only gives the survivor more guilt. <laughs> And it's almost like, uh, well, first of all, you should be faster. Second, it's it's like, you know, if you still if you still have prom- problems with it, it's your fault. And third, you know, don't bother me with it, right? So yeah. it's that's, um, so invalidating. Yeah. And and I actually, yeah. I had someone say that to me maybe a week ago, and I, yeah. it was so hurtful for them to compare their mom's trauma to mine, and, yeah. and they said if she could get over it, why can't you? And yeah. It's like you have to have all these tools in your toolbox, like you said, because yeah. healing from trauma is so complicated. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But it trauma is Trauma alters everything in your experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so healing from trauma, it's like, this, it's like this huge adjustment you have to make everywhere, right? In every, for, for every aspect of your life or for, for so many of your daily experiences, you have to be, you have to, to, even to come into the ability to say, is this trauma related or is this new? You know, is this, am I projecting uh, my trauma onto the new situation or am I experiencing the new situation? So there's so, so much about, uh, about post-trauma life experience. Um, yeah, that's all, where sometimes it's hard to evaluate yeah. what, what you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of doubt, right? So when you, uh, uh, for example, uh, let's say you uh, you're in a sexual situation and you feel and you're like, oh, I don't feel like having sex today, and you could immediately be like, is it because of my trauma? Is that the reason? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, but or it's just I'm tired. You know, you know, so so um, people who have experienced trauma, they can it can happen to them that they doubt everything. And, uh, and which is also a form of instability, you know, doubting everything. And so for trauma survivors, everything is about, a lot is about creating safety and stability and over and over and over. So you have to make so many new experiences that you memorize and that will, that will, um, how do you say, weigh the scale down on the, on the safety side. Yeah. But it takes a long time and it takes a lot of tools and help and community and understanding and just so many things. That is so true. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself. And I love how you brought up the microaggressions of the, um, they call them small T traumas of just feeling with societal messaging. And I would love mm-hmm. to talk about yeah. that more because I know you you love to spread the message that 
everyone, their bodies, their fantasies is normal. And this societal yeah. programming of telling us that we're not normal. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So the, the whole normal, I just wish that the, that the word normal would somehow disappear from the language. Yeah. Um, and that's extra interesting because I just uh, posted a blog on Instagram that's called your vagina is normal. <laughs> so that. it's like, it's like the opposite of that message. But it's, but I find that I need to say you're normal, you're normal, you're normal over and over to people so that they can calm down. <laughs> so I, I use the word, my, word myself to make people feel okay. But I, I wish I could, we would just all let go of that word. Because what's the most important thing about normal to understand is that normal doesn't exist. Yeah. There's no reality in which normal exists. Normal is um, an, an invention. Uh, the, the word appeared somewhere in the 19th century um, because they because I, I'm not entirely sure about the history of the word of the word, but it's when statistics arose, when when that science of of measuring things and comparing things arose. You know, they needed some benchmark against which to me measure stuff. So imagine you make you have a data plot and you have all kinds of dots on a on a diagram, and then you make like a line in the middle and you say that's the normal line and and everything gets compared to that. So then no no dot is actually on the normal line, or maybe three or something. So but I don't know. If, I hope that wasn't too no please too complicated <laughs> to listen to. Yeah here. no, um, normal is a, a man made construct. Exactly, it's a construct to do measurements yeah and that's it and it has no basis in actually lived reality mm -hmm. and it's um there's a really wonderful book which is called the wisdom of anxiety yeah. um uh, i currently don't remember the author but when you look when you look up the book you will find it and she has a whole chapter on how the word normal does nothing in our society except contributing to anxiety and uh, so that it's one of the greatest fears that people have is that they're not normal. And then they and then when they have children, they're afraid that their children aren't normal. And then they immediately transfer that fear onto their children. They transfer it to, to theirs. Um, so when it comes to sex, we should completely dispense with the word normal and only say if it feels good to you and your partner, that's it. That's the only thing that matters. It, it has to feel good to you and has to feel good to them. And it has to be, um, you know, you, you enthusiastically want this. Um, and that's it. That's the only benchmark you would want to set. Yeah, exactly. I actually had someone say to me the other day, she, she shared with me the, the number of sexual partners she's been with, which personally I stopped counting. Like, it doesn't matter. And she said to me, <laughs> yeah. she said to me in fear of me judging her, she said, is that normal? And my heart mm -hmm. just sank. I was like, honey, like that is perfect. Like who's to say yeah. what's normal and not normal? Like don't, yeah. don't let anyone t like slut shame you or tell you you're yeah. too frigid or it's just normal needs yeah, to it's be whatever, thrown out. Yes. It's whatever experience is good for you. And, and what I find the, 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 the most problematic thing about normal in sex is that people are com like everyone wants to be normal and people are competing about what is normal. So people who, who like, you know, who enjoy having um, many different partners, you know, that's normal because you have to make experience and you have to have, uh, you know, you have to be able to compare between things. And it was really important for my, for my personal uh, experience in life. And I'm so happy that I did it. And that's all true. 
And on the other hand, there are people who are like, I just don't like doing that. Like, I feel, you know, I'm happy enough or I'm so happy that I even managed to feel comfortable with the one person that I'm together. <laughs> like, that was already really, yeah. it was so much for me, you know, like trying to become comfortable with more other people. I don't even want to think about that. Mm-hmm. And they are, that's true too. So what, whatever, whatever is good for you, like all those experiences, they are all good and they're all valid. And I think that when you look at it more from a collective point of view, it's desirable that we have this much diversity because if we want to, like you could put it this way, we want to understand sex as a whole, you know, as, as, as humanity, as, as community and as a collective. And then the best thing that can happen to us is that there are people who make these experiences and people who make these other experiences, and then we can talk about them. So that would be really great if we would just say there are so many perspectives on sex and there are so many ways to have sex and so many ways to enjoy sexuality. And let's just explore them and then talk about them and then be happy for each other that we all found the best ways for ourselves uh, to express ourselves. That would be my my ideal world. Yeah. Yeah, ideally. Beautifully said. And I think a lot of it boils down to the sexual shame in our culture and and I am from the states and and we don't even have sex education here like it's it's mm. all like abstinence only education mm. so that says a lot about our state but a lot of yeah. it boils down to sexual shame and um religious shame and negative yeah. body image so can you speak about how uh, body image and shame uh, contribute to this sexual um like problematic that being sexual is a problem idea um, yeah, so, um, well, when you um, shame, when you shame, shame is the, 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 the most painful feeling that we can feel as humans, yeah. mm-hmm. because shame invalidates our existence, and it invalidates who we are. So shame says, you shouldn't exist. And it's also that when people feel shame, the first instinct is to like go home, close the door and go on a blanket. So people want to hide from the world. That's the, the, the first instinct you get when you feel ashamed. Um, so you, so once you, once the feeling of shame comes over you, you want to end your existence, right? You want to be not be seen anymore by the world. And when that feeling is, is when you are taught that this is how you should feel about your sexuality, um, because that's like double horrible because the sexual, your sexuality is the basis of your life, right? It's what creates life. It's how you came forth into the world. Um, it's, it's, it's the basis of your life energy. So when your sexuality is shamed, you are shamed in your, like, like in, in, in the most primary, um, basic part of your existence. So it's like the, the greatest shame that exists if you feel it right. It's, it's, just so yeah. we should never do that to each other. <laughs> um, and then, of course, sexuality does exist, and and life wants to continue, and it wants to, and, and sexuality wants to be expressed, and it's it's an it's an important part of being alive, um, in whatever way you feel it or want to express it, and it will find its way. It's yeah. not, you know, it doesn't matter how ashamed you are or how much abstinence vows you take, it will find a way to come out. Mm-hmm. And when you, when you are, when there's so much cultural restriction and shame and negative feelings around it, then it won't come out in a way that's good for you. Yeah. And often not in a way that's good for other people. Mm. 
Yeah. So, uh, so this is how shame creates sexual problems. So, um, there's an interesting uh, study that compares uh, feelings from American college, female American college students, and I think Dutch college students. Yeah, because the, the Netherlands have some of the most progressive sexual education in the world. Yeah, and so Dutch college students, female students, they it's in, so they feel good after sexual better after sexual encounters they feel much more sexual agency while american students are more likely to feel guilt after sexual encounter and feel like they had less agency and less control over it so it's going to happen anyway it's just going to happen in ways that are more fulfilling or more hurtful mm. um so that's yeah that would be the consequence of of sexual shame yeah and that's just a snippet, right? Like it, it the yeah, conversation right. yeah. could go into so many directions. Um, but it, it's also fascinating to me. And I, I know you love to talk about sex differences and I would like to get into um, how, you know, I like to be inclusive and, and I say like men and women just for simplicity's mm-hmm. sake, but really it's the whole spectrum. So what are yeah. some of the most common um, differences between the sexes as well as the biggest issues or insecurities that arise between the sexes um around a sex in the relationship or yeah um well i think the the most important thing to understand is that in there's a such, such a big difference in the nature of sexuality or the, how male and female body express it mm-hmm. naturally and what's culturally learned so the this the sex differences or the problems that arise between the sexes in relationship and in sexuality, they're, in my opinion, all culturally related. Um, there's no biological uh, foundation in, in, in all that conflicting uh, attitude, right? There's often this idea, oh, men, men only want uh, sex and women want love. And then, uh, you know, so women sleep with men for the emotional validation and, you know, the men... Uh, they just uh, have sex with women so they can get off, you know, and then they never call them again. And so all men are horrible and, and all women are angels. And <laughs> like, the, the, um, it's true that these, I mean, that's encouraged by the culture, but that doesn't come anywhere from biology. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also not, not like, there's also this idea that, um, like, oh yeah, men, they all come really fast. You know, you just, um, you, you jerk them off for, for one minute and they come immediately or they have a bit of penetration sex and then they just, you know, they can't hold themselves while women need hours and hours. And, and there's so much, like, the, the, when it's about sex, our culture um, creates this image that men and women are enemies, that men and women are enemies in the sexual arena and everybody, and that they have incompatible desires and that the best thing you can do is to get out of it as much as you can for yourself. And that's just not true. So I think we should, it's much better to assume that our, our desires are aligned, that, uh, that our bodies are much more the same than they are different. So when you just think about the, the sex organs, uh, the, the clitoris, uh, which is internally really big, and um, is the clitoris and the penis grow from the exact same tissue. Right, uh, the 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 scrotum, the skin around uh, the the testicles, that's the outer lips uh, of the vagina, right? So so all that physio- physiology is analog. So we so it just like women, uh, sorry, 
humans <laughs> are so distracted, so easily distracted by just little superficial visual differences. But biologically, we are so much more the same than we are different. Mm. And that sameness also expresses itself in sexuality. So it's true that that one of the, the most common sexual problems in men is that they're, that they're ejaculating too early. But that's not a problem of their biology. That's just a problem of training, right? When you, when you learn to, to, to uh, masturbate only to get to the orgasm as fast as possible, mm -hmm. then you will develop early ejaculation. Um, but if you're a young man and you, and if there's a young man and you could give this man the idea that his sexuality is there so he can feel his whole body and that he wants to connect with his whole body before he starts mas masturbating, then we, he will get such, so much more feeling in his body and in his penis and it will, him, he will warm up much longer and it will take him longer to come. Yeah. So, um, and with women, we, we do this other thing. We say, oh, yeah, women's bodies, they are so complicated. <laughs> there are so much work. I mean, really, can you even ask this from your partner, right? All that work. So, and then women are put under pressure to be faster and, yeah. and, and come faster and harder. And all that pressure just suffocates the sexual energy. So it, it just creates a self-fulfilling prophecy because the moment you, when you're having sex and the moment you think in terms of I have to come faster, uh, you know, what, what, why is it taking so long? Is it too much work? Does he still like doing it? You know, then for sure it's, it's not gonna, going to happen. Um, and this whole uh, success mindset that we have around sex, it's like, all right, now the sex has to be, you know, so uh, uh, people need to stimulate each other. And when they come successful, sex has been completed. Um, and that's, that's just not what it's about. <laughs> and, and so we, we, so our culture creates frameworks around sex that then pressure men and women into certain behaviors, which cause unfulfilling sex in relationships. Mm. And uh, when I just want to make a point aside from sexual trauma. So when we just think about people who, didn't have, didn't experience sexual trauma, mm -hmm. then learned behavior is the number one problem in bed. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So because it creates a relationship dynamic that isn't good for anyone that, yeah. that makes people not feel attracted to each other anymore. That, mm -hmm. and, and the most the biggest problem in that is sex stimulation to orgasm. Like that mindset that makes sex so mechanical and repetitive that people lose desire. Yeah, I'd love to talk more about that because I think that there's this um, idea that sex has to look a certain way or else you're doing it yeah. wrong. And and I love that yeah. you said that learned behavior is the most, that contributes the most issues. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so maybe for women learned behaviors, the, the things that, that really end up uh, making sex for women not good is that they constantly see themselves in the, uh, I, I need to pleasure the man, yeah. right? I need to pleasure the man. So, and then there's years of body image issues <laughs> coming into the bedroom as well, yeah. which is, I need to be, you know, I need to be thinner. So, so they try to get into poses that make them, that, that happens, right? It's, it's, it's that's true. <laughs> Women We've do that. There, like yeah. they, they go into poses <laughs> to look thinner or, the man 
grabs them somewhere and they're thinking, oh my God, he just grabbed my fat. Maybe, maybe he's thinking about my fat. Maybe not, he thinks I'm too fat. So it's like, there's like this constant self-monitoring, you know, am I pretty? Am I doing this? Am I doing it right? You know, is he, how, is he enjoying it? Is he this? Is he this? And that's like, and then your own pleasure, it's, it's, it's nowhere, right? It doesn't even get room to be there. Um, um, and the other, so the, the second thing with women is that women have, women learn on, at a very early age, and actually in all areas of life, but especially in the sexual one, to say no to things they want and to say yes to the things they don't want. Yep. That's the greatest problem, like the making a shift from saying yes to what you want and saying no to what you don't want is the most important shift in life for every woman. Mm. Um, and they can do this for years and years and years. And they, they do it out of, or in their minds, out of love and out of compassion, out of obligation, out of being a good person. But it's really, it's just self-denying. And, uh, and, and, and ultimately that will, that will lead you to have sex in a way that you never enjoy. Yeah. And as a consequence, your desire will say goodbye because your body will not take it. It's, it's a good thing that your desire goes away when you have sex in a way that you don't enjoy. It's your body's way of saying we're not going to go through with this. You know, I'm, I'm gonna if, if you don't if you don't stop, I will stop it for you. Wow. So it's it's a good thing because otherwise you could go through with something that's not good for you and and you shouldn't want that. Wow. Um. Yeah. Yeah. My mind's so, blown. That's <laughs> so true. Yeah. So thank you. So when your desire goes away in a relationship, it's the desire is usually the loss of desire is not the problem. It's a symptom. And when that symptom arises, um, it's actually good news because it points you to the thing that you should change. It's good. So be, be, be happy that your body is giving you that signal. Yeah, um, that's so true. Yeah. And, and so many times people are so quick to think that something is wrong with them when really it's their body yeah. sending them a message. Exactly. Exactly that. Like there's almost never something wrong with you. And something sometimes it happens that I say to a woman, I know you don't feel any desire, but believe me, your sexuality is not broken. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with you, right? So it's 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 not. Mm. Um, and then I want to say something to most problematic behavior with men is that um, um, so uh, men learn to concentrate their sexual feelings on the penis or even only on the tip of the penis, and they can do that and have orgasms really fast. And as long as you are a man and you're in the success mindset, right? I'm successful as long as I come, then you don't see a problem as long as you come. Yeah. Um, but the, the number one thing that men need to establish in their own sexuality or need to build in their own sexuality is a whole body feeling. So it's to keep that connection between like between you and your entire body during sex and not go like what you see often is like they, they like the penis gets touched or especially once they enter the vagina it's like everything shuts down and they just lose connection with the partner connection with the environment they become very inward and all of their concentration goes to that small spot on the penis where they have the most feeling and they then they kind of find a way to rub it inside the woman so until they come and for the woman it's just horrible right <laughs> like that's like for the woman this this experience can feel completely depleting emotionally yeah. and uh, and physically mm. um 
And what men need to realize is that there is a very important connection between your nervous system has a very important connection between your brain and your and your sex organs and that's in all humans yeah and you need to uh, to be aware of that connection and foster that connection so you you, you need to um to bring your mind and your penis together or your emotions and your penis so your your erections are connected to your emotions and the more you are aware of that connection, the more intense the sexual experience becomes for you. So, for example, one thing that that uh, that can happen in men is that, they, that that I, for example, say, you know, it would be really good if your if your partner, if you really ask your female partner to touch your whole body and kiss you everywhere, and you know, and, and you know, kiss a lot before you have sex, and then the man will say, but I don't feel anything anywhere, so I I don't know what to do because I get bored, you know, when that happens, yeah. and then. The, the the goal needs to be to to establish that feeling because it's there but it just has gotten lost right so you want to you want to help the man to remember that he can feel with his whole body and not just with a tiny part of his penis or only with his penis so that's really important to for men to find that whole body feeling and then and then developing the desire to have sex with their whole bodies and also to be present during sex so that i mean it, i understand that sometimes it's it's nice to go inward so you so you have like a back and forth between you go inward into your own body and then you reconnect with your partner and then you go inward or sometimes it's also really nice to uh, masturbate and be totally with yourself while your partner holds you or sometimes it's nice if your partner uh, fingers you or you know gives you a hand orgasm or any licking orgasm or whatever you like and you know you are totally inward, and they are pleasuring you. So that that can be really nice. But when you have sex together, uh, 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 let's just say a, a, a heterosexual situation where you have penetration sex, then you need to stay connected. So you cannot go into your own world until the end. So you need to reconnect again and again. So you need to you kiss a lot, and you need to look into each other's eyes, and then you can close them again, and then you look. At, but just keeping alive the whole body feeling, that's the most important thing to do for heterosexuals. And that's the number one thing that men forget. Amen. Yeah. It's kind of like you've been just working out your right bicep your whole life. And then yeah. you wonder why all the other body parts are weak. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like that. Yeah. It's really like that. Yeah. Yeah. Sex yeah. could be just total body it should be a full body experience not just genitals rubbing together and i think that's a huge problem is people having robotic mechanical sex that they feel they're supposed yes. to have and a lot of it i personally believe boils down to um porn culture and the way that we are mm -hmm. taught from a young age now even younger the, the kids these days get yeah. access at like eight years old and they yeah, base it yeah. off of what yeah. that looks like Yes, yes, exactly. Um, I think one problem with porn, I mean, aside the big ones with, you know, female degradation and so on, is that you have to imagine that porn needs to be filmed. So things need to be made visible for camera. And so people need to move in ways and, and position themselves in ways that are natural. Uh, I'm saying unnatural. So, um, so that the cam camera can capture it. And that's that's so important to to be aware of. I sometimes believe that if you would show real loving sex on 
you would film two people who have real loving sex, you would never get to see the, the penetration, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, because that would be covered with legs and, and, and people being too clo close to each other. Like, you wouldn't be seeing that. I also think that if you filmed uh, loving sex between two people, um, maybe the audience would feel an incredible pain and sadness because they would feel excluded and they would look at something they want, but they're currently not having. Mm. But what porn does is that it includes the viewer into the situation, which you don't do when you have sex with. I mean, unless that's your situation that you like have to have other people watching. But if you, if your situation is that you are alone with your partner and you want to have a connection and intimacy, then no, then you don't have sex in a way that makes it inclusive for other people that when they're watching, they feel part of it, right? So it gives you, it's, it's not just, it's the positioning, but it's the entire way that, that, that porn is constructed that is the opposite of, of what reality would look like. Yeah. And so, and so, so much of it's, it's mental. Not a good role model. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I'm sorry to cut you off, but so much of, of, having fulfilling sex is mental too, as, as yeah. we see. And if you're basing it off of this unrealistic acting um, sort of yeah. movie, like how are you going to feel connected in the end if you're both just faking it? Yes. And also emotional connection, right? Mm -hmm. So I find one thing that I find really problematic about um, this, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm so free and uh, about sexual liberty. Like I'm so free and I don't need anyone and I don't feel anything. And, the coolest thing is that, you know, sexual freedom is when you have sex with lots of people and you don't feel anything. That's that's freedom. And it's it's not true. And I don't like the way how this is sold to us. Um, mm -hmm. And and I think the reason why it is sold to us is because, because it's less painful than acknowledging the fact that what I believe most people want is a connection. Like I, when you share your body with someone, that's huge. I mean, you want to be connected to them. And you want to feel something, and it doesn't—it doesn't have to be the love of your life, but at least it should be nice and friendly. Mm -hmm. And I find that even the standard of nice and friendly uh, is sometimes regarded as too much expectations. Um, there's this idea that in the dating and sex arena, there is no bar too low for antisocial behavior. It's mm -hmm. right and. In no other context in life would such antisocial, anti-friendly, and 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 really hostile behavior be accepted in, in such extremity as it is in the dating culture, right? If you behave like that in, at work, you know, ghosting people, never calling back, uh, um, making these negative compliments that that sound like compliments, but make, like all that kind of stuff. If you did all that horrible strategic stuff that people do to each other in dating you would have no friends and you would have no colleagues and you would be fired from your job. <laughs> um, but when you, but there seems this, there's this idea that I can take all my pain and all my hate and all my disappointments into the dating world and I will find someone I'm just going to take it out on them. <laughs> it's so backwards. It's so backwards. And you're so right. This antisocial behavior of being emotionally unavailable and like standoffish and cold and not vulnerable is so frowned upon these days. And I think it's so backwards. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's so, it's not like it's good for anyone. I mean, no. it's not good for the person doing it either. Nobody wins. It's like, 
lose-lose situation. Yeah, the way that we're taught to just turn off our feelings in terms of romantic relationships and connection. Yeah. But like you said, if you brought that attitude to work, like you would not thrive at all. <laughs> no, and it's I think it's so important to realize that that's not freedom. No. Right? And um, um, being uh, um, disconnected is not freedom. And being connected is not uh, uh, captivity, wow. right? When, when, when we are well-connected as human beings uh, in, in a loving way that is inclusive and that respects each other and that the, the moment we are, we can be able to be euphoric for each other's experiences instead of comparing and judging and who's, you know, who's normal, who's better, what's more important. I can say, I think what we need to say is you have your experience and they have their experience and I have my experience. And isn't it so amazing that we all experience different things. And that's a very loving connection. That, that's what creates freedom is when everybody is enthusiastic about everybody. That's what creates freedom. Yeah. I love that. You're preaching to the choir. <laughs> For sure. So Miriam, if you have any any message that you want listeners to take away from this conversation, whether it's to have better sex tonight or better sexual connection within themselves, what would your takeaway message be? My takeaway message would be that your sexuality starts with you and it's not dependent on anyone. So um, it doesn't matter if you're uh, single or in a relationship or if you, you know, if you feel like, oh, I haven't had sex with another person for so long, but you can always have sex with yourself. You can always have a sex life with yourself. Uh, sex with yourself is sex. Uh, uh, I, I don't like the word masturbation, although I used it earlier, but it is just as much sex and valid as with someone else. And the, the sexual experience with other people is based on the sexual experience with yourself. So my takeaway message would be start with you. Absolutely. I love it. That's beautiful advice. So Miriam, I love this conversation. I could just keep talking to you for hours and hours and hours. We didn't even get to like half the things, but if yes. listeners want to check out your work, um, I know that you are a sex therapist and coach. Where could they find you? What are your platforms that you're most frequently on? Yeah. You can go, first of all, to my website, which is uh, Um, You can find all kinds of interesting information there, lots of free information, blogs and downloadables and whatever, everything you like. Uh, you can also book a session with me when you're on my website, so I'm, I'm very happy to hear from you. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram account is called Sex with Miriam. Um, so you can find me there uh, and I post uh, quite frequently and um, yeah, just join my community. Um, I'm also on Facebook um, and there I, my Facebook page is called Sex Therapy with Miriam. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. So uh, if you want to connect there. Yes. Perfect. And I really enjoyed this conversation. I think this is such great content for my audience. I'm so excited to share this with them. And by the way, your Instagram and your website, I checked out your website, is so beautiful. So keep doing thank the amazing you. work you're doing. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for inviting me and for having this wonderful conversation.